Hello and welcome to the latest Leading the Line podcast. I'm your host, Campbell Finlayson, and today I'm joined by Celtic's American midfielder, Sarah Taygarden. Sarah, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing well. How are you? Yeah, not bad at all, thank you. Um, we'll come up to, obviously, the current season soon, but we're going to start and take it right back to the very start. Um, obviously, we are born in California and soccer, as it is in America, is obviously, it's not the main sport, as we all know there. So just how did you get into soccer or football, whatever you want to call it? Um, I mean, I'd say it's not necessarily the biggest sport in the States, but it's definitely popular amongst the youth. So I'd say, you know, majority of Americans play soccer at some point during, you know, their adolescence. And um, so I did it at a recreational level at about age five, I want to say, and then pretty quickly figured out I liked it and was pretty good at it. So then you got into a competitive um we had club over there. So yeah, I went into club when I was eight and it just kind of continued to grow each year since then. You obviously played at sort of your school level and teams like Slammers um, for the, the club sort of football. And then obviously right. you moved on to Wake Forest University, which is in North Carolina, obviously quite a bit away from, from your own home. How did you yeah. find that move there? Obviously universities a part of life, but how did you find not just moving to uni, but also the football side of things? Yeah, it was great. It was a really good experience. Um, it was definitely not where I expected myself to go. I was looking mainly West Coast, California, or, um, you know, further up north with Washington and Oregon. But um, I did a tour, um, an unofficial visit with Wake Forest, and I really fell in love with it. Um, it was a small campus. It was beautiful. And the coach was actually from Southern California, so kind of had a connection there. And that's how he recruited me. Um, and part of the process, too, was just feeling wanted by the university, which is, you know, big in any move with your career or football or anything. Um, and so I, I really loved playing there. It was ACC was the conference we were in, and it's arguably, I think, the best conference in the U.S. for football on the men's and women's side. Um, so every single game was extremely competitive every year, and it was a really good experience to play there. And academics were also great, so just kind of had everything. University life in America is obviously a lot bigger than it is um, across here. And then again, as you're saying, playing football, just how different was it playing football there at a university to over here in Scotland, would you say? Well, I mean, the biggest difference, of course, is university versus professional level. Um, and so, I mean, yeah, that's just the biggest difference is going from that type of standard. Um, but I think that the university level there, because it is so competitive in the States and within our conference and at our school, that it really prepared me for the professional level over here. Um, you know, I've been at a couple of their teams and played professionally for a couple of years before coming to Scotland, but um, going to Wake Forest and playing at university in the States in Division One really helped me uh, become a good professional, I think. When you were there, you were ranked 24th out of um, 100 in topdrawsoccer.com sort of mid-season rankings. And then, Serene, mm -hmm. as well, you were the only member of your graduating class um, to start all 75 games in your university career. Just how proud was that, that you obviously your talent was so noticeable? I mean, yeah, it's definitely a proud moment. And um, sometimes you don't always try to pay attention to some of those websites and just focus on doing the best you can. And that was my mentality going into university in each year. And I was very fortunate to start as a freshman. Um, I think it was every game, like you said, my freshman year. And so um, having that kind of start to my collegiate career really helped. And I was just focusing on doing my best, but getting those accolades along the way, um, obviously were a nice perk. <laughs> Was your plan always to become a professional during these times or was that once you moved to university that you really took this, decided that was going to be the path you would take? I'd say that a lot of people, you know, they say when they're younger, you 
um, playing football, you envision yourself or have the goal of being a professional player. But I think when I was at university is when I really visualized that for myself. Um, I knew I always loved the game, but once you got to university, everything was very um, structured. It was, you know, much more like a professional setting because you have so many practices, gym sessions, meetings. Um, it really encompasses your daily life. Um, and I think it's a time when a lot of people realize that they like that kind of pathway and they want to put all that effort and hard work into uh, football or, you know, they don't want to. And that's when I really found and discovered that I want to play professionally and I want to keep working hard at this sport because I really enjoy it and I think I can do it. And I have been, so it worked out. <laughs> you obviously moved forward then into the next year and moved on to Europe and signed your first professional uh, contract with Koppenberg Gothenburg, as they would be um, in Sweden. Just, yeah. just how different was it moving across there to a professional league from what you were used to in America? Um, yeah, I mean, I think no matter where I went, going into professional setting would have been an adjustment. Um, thankfully, over there, though, they were very welcoming, um, even though I was in a different country over in Sweden and Scandinavia, they speak great English. So that thankfully wasn't too big of an adjustment. And I actually had one fellow American who I grew up playing with, Span 11. Um, we played at Slammers together and in ODP in Southern California. So I thankfully knew someone as well, which made the transition a bit easier. Um, and again, for my rookie season, I was fortunate to do really well and start a lot of games for the club. Um, and I really enjoyed the, the football over there as well. It's a really competitive league. Um, you know, the technique is really good. Everyone's very fit and strong. And it was a really good league to have my first year. How did you find the, the change of culture from moving from the U.S. to, to Sweden? Um, I've always loved to travel. Um, so my family did it when I was younger and, um, I studied abroad over a summer period in college. So I really enjoyed going over there. Gothenburg is a beautiful city, uh, kind of that perfect size of not too big, not too small. Um, so I really enjoyed it. And like I said, everyone was really nice. Um, and I think just being over in Europe and in the UK, I've really enjoyed just how much people love football. Um, again, like you mentioned at the start in the States, it's not the number one sport that everyone loves or is a fan of always. So coming over and, um, you know, having cities and towns all be excited about Champions League matches and things like that was, you know, a cool experience that I've really enjoyed. Obviously spent the season there and then came back to the US and signed as what it was called the national team replacement at North Carolina Courage. That's something again that we're not used to over here. Can you just sort yeah. of explain really how that how that works? Yeah, um, I didn't know much about it at the time either. Um, basically, I went to preseason with the Courage and I didn't get a roster spot right away. I was told that I can, you know, continue with the team, throw out preseason and um, hopefully earn a contract sometime during the year. And that team that year and still is an extremely good team. And we had numerous national team players with the U.S. and abroad. Um, Denise O'Sullivan, who used to play, she's an Irish international, um, used to play with Glasgow City. She was on the team, still is. Dabinia, Brazilian player. And we had, I think it was 10 U.S. women's national team players at the time who were going in and out of camps. So obviously that's, you know, a full starting 11 plus more that were going away every you know, month, two months kind of thing. And so that was when I would be signed as a national team replacement player. So when those players would go away to national team camps, I would be signed and get to be rostered for games. But I was at trainings and at everything every single day throughout the entire year, but I wasn't given a, a salary or able to be rostered until they went away to camp and then I was signed. So that's how it worked. 
I mean, that's, that's obviously benefited a bit of you at the time, but do you think maybe, obviously here you'll have international breaks where when there's the teams are players away with their international country, the teams will stop training. Do you think that would work in America or do you prefer sort of the way they keep it with these sort of national um, team replacement players? I mean, at the time, obviously that benefited me, like you said, so um, that was nice. But I do think you know, over in the States and the NBCL, it's highly run by the U.S. Women's National Team. Um, they facilitate, you know, our, our strength and conditioning and preseason testing. Um, so I think, you know, maybe if there's a little bit of separation there, that that would benefit uh, the league so that, you know, those those other players have time throughout the year to be on the roster and get chance playing minutes and stuff throughout the year as opposed to individual stints. You mentioned, obviously, Dabinia was one that um, you were brought in as a replacement for in one of these windows, playing with some of the big names like you've mentioned. Did you ever feel any sort of added pressure or was it just a case of taking it under, taking it into your stride, playing with such world-class players? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that year was a huge learning year for me. You know, as second year as a pro, it was a good year to be learning. Um, Paul Riley, the coach there, he was excellent coach, some of the best coaching I've ever had, and then getting to train with so many internationals and, you know, world-class players literally um, was a, a great experience. And it was intimidating at times, you know, you felt like you always had to be at a hundred percent. And yeah, you just kind of naturally in a way took a backseat at times, but individually I needed to have that confidence because I was training with them. I was a part of the team and we got to the championship that year and we won the league. So, you know, I was still a part of that, which was great for me and um yeah so when I did get opportunities which were a few but when I did in games I made sure to you know just give it my all and step up to the plate. Is there anything in particular that you learned about your own game or improved on from working with some of these players? Um with that team the football was incredible but the fitness of that team is the highest standard of fitness I've ever experienced um I mean, and I guess in the States, you know, women's football in the U.S. is known for um, having great athleticism, but that individual team, North Carolina Courage, has consistently year after year been also known for their quality and high level fitness. So um, just, yeah, learning to be as fit as possible, speed and endurance at all times was something that I really learned there. I thought I was always, you know, one of the fittest people on my team, but when I got there, I was very humbled because of the high levels of fitness by those players. So um, on the football side of it, though, I also, I guess, just learned, you know, speed of play. Um, some of the midfielders there, like Denise O'Sullivan, Samantha Mewis, um, Dabinia, they were McCall, Zerboni, they were all just incredible players that I got to learn from and speed of play, technique. Um, they really all could play in every position in the midfield, up and down. Everyone was super versatile. So um, learned a lot. You then came back um, across to France and signed with Leo, but am I right in saying you had to wait there to uh, sign your, your uh, contract? Yeah, it was, so I just signed for the second half of the season there. Again, you know, the States versus Europe, the seasons are very different. So we finished um, NWSL in, I think it was September, October, and then they were starting the second half of their season um, end of January. So I kind of had to wait for the visa and situation like that. Um, but it transitioned fairly okay, I just had to wait for the uh, the visa and situation. And then when I came over, it was snowing, so we weren't able to train for a few days. I think we had one full session and a couple indoors before my first game with them. Um, but that was a cool experience for sure. And um, another great culture, a lot less English speaking, but still very kind and nice people. 
um, and a little bit more, you know, of a technical game, not as much, not as aggressive, um, of course, but yeah, very technical and tactical. It was an interesting year because we were, when I came in, we were battling for relegation. And so that was kind of the theme throughout the, the second half of the season that put a lot of pressure on every game and all the players. As you see, obviously the the seasons were different parts of the calendar. So obviously a lot of American players, as it would have been then, maybe coming across and playing um, in other countries. And obviously the US national side is, is the best there is there. Do you think now though, that we're seeing more players from the likes of England and Scotland, for example, going across and playing in the NWSL. Do you think that's going to maybe help some of these other nations to maybe not catch up with America, but at least sort of close the gap? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I think women's football in general has been elevating in multiple countries around the world. So the more that we're able to cross over, um, you know, the U.S. sign more international players and vice versa, I think that helps just raise the standard um, for all the leagues across the world, really. You've said that, obviously, you see um, a lot of these players that have come across to the WSL now, and they're certainly improving. Um, Chelsea are winning again this afternoon as we're recording this. Do you think that these players then, as we're saying, moving across and playing more and more football in England, especially at the minute, do you think that's going to help these teams as well, maybe close in on the likes of uh, Wolfsburg and Lyon? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the league down in England has been doing phenomenal recently um and you know hopefully they'll just continue to do well in champions league tonight and such so um yeah i think it's just going to keep raising the standard and when you bring world-class players like that it's just going to help out the leagues and the teams back to yourself then um, coming from leo you of course moved to celtic that was mm-hmm. a delayed move um at the time how did that first come about um so my fiance signed a contract over here with Dundee United um, when I went over to Lille. And so after my contract finished, after those six months with Lille, he was still over here for a longer period of time. So I was trying to see if um, I could find a team over here. And Celtic was the first one I heard of and thought of. And my agent at the time helped me get in contact with. Um, and it just ended up being a little bit of more delayed process because we weren't a fully professional team at the time. So um, I kind of had to wait till we made that professional transition to sign a professional contract and be over here um, officially and legally uh, with a working visa and all those <laughs> paperwork issues. So um, yeah, that was part of the process. And um, of course, my fiance was part of that influence, but you know, I knew that this league was rising and increasing as we've seen over these last two years, even with all the, you know, COVID issues, we've had, you know, two Rangers and ourselves go professional and um, hopefully it just continues to improve. You spoke to yourself and um, Ian uh, a game before you officially signed. You obviously then joined officially in the January and then by March there was coronavirus came and then of course you did your ACL. Could you have imagined a worse start really to, to your Celtic career? I mean, the official start when we played City on that Friday night and got to beat them 2-1 with, you know, Kelly Clark, our captain, scoring that, that game winner, that was an amazing start. So that really, um, you know, yeah, that's still what I remember as our start and, and so pleased with, even though we've had to restart the league. Um, I was so happy with the way that we started that year and that season. But then, yeah, of course, I never ever imagined that the following um, situations would incur with uh, my ACL and then COVID. It's been, you know, for everyone, it's been a crazy year, but as a footballer, that was really tough. 
you obviously came off injured against Spartans and as you said mm. yourself you kind of thought it was just a calf injury how did you then react yeah. when you found out uh, it was a lot more serious it was really hard you know I think for any footballer I want to say the worst injury you can get is your ACL and you know that's kind of everyone's biggest fear typically as a footballer and I had never had any major injuries. Um, the worst was an ankle sprain or a head injury. I've never had to sit out for a long period of time or anything, never had a surgery. So um, it was kind of shocking for sure, especially just because I wasn't in a lot of pain um, where a lot of times you hear the ACLs are super abrupt and super painful and you can barely move your leg, but I had a lot of range of mobility. So it was kind of confusing. It was hard to maybe grasp the fact that it was happening or that it had happened. Um, yeah, so it was, of course, just a shock and disappointment. But the fact that we weren't playing games it made it a little bit easier, of course. Um, it was kind of an up and down of it being the right time to do an ACL and the wrong time just because I wasn't missing games. But then I also, my recovery was delayed. Um, so it, it was going back and forth on the ups and downs of that. With the pandemic, it was obviously, it was tough to get any operations and things done here. And your course went, went back to America to do it again. How did that right. come about that you could you could get that surgery done back home? Um, well, so like you said, over here, basically, as soon as I got the surgery approved, the next day was when uh, Nicholas Sturgeon announced that non-elective surgeries were canceled. So it was 24 hour turnaround of emotions. Um, and for two months, I was over here, you know, just in lockdown. And um, I knew an orthopedic surgeon back in Washington, D.C., where Ian's family's from. I had seen him once in the past for, um, you know, a small foot injury. And he's somewhat of a family friend of um, Ian's family. So I had his phone number and was able to let him know, you know, what happened with my knee right when it happened to kind of, and I, you know, got his advice on the, uh, the MRI to make sure, you know, exactly what he thought, just getting as many opinions as possible on my ACL tear. And so about two months after we were still locked down and still couldn't get the, get the operation, I checked in with him again. And he said that if I still hadn't had it over here that to try to fly over because they're doing um, non-elective surgeries in the U.S. So if I get over there and I, you know, get a negative test, then I would most likely be able to get the surgery. And so that's what we did. Just said they're obviously having having no games maybe helped with your recovery. We only missed seven games in a year, which is is quite surreal. But um, uh-huh. going back to America, you then were able to spend some time there. It was a bit of a hectic summer, I think, in the US. How did you find that from a personal point of view? Um, from a personal point of view, it was it was a really difficult time when we were going back to the States. Um, like I said, I was in DC where Ian's family was and his grandfather at the time um, was in the hospital with COVID. He had um, been in the ICU for almost 35 days. He was in a coma and it was very, very serious. Um, and so getting to be home, uh, he actually got out of the hospital the day before my operation. And so having Ian get to see him, um, you know, not actually up close, but um, coming out of the hospital and things like that was um, you know, a really special moment as well to be able to be with his family, have him be with his family um, was really important, not just in terms of my surgery, but being able to be with family when serious things were going on. And then a month later, when I was able to fly, I went back to California to see my family um, who I hadn't seen in a while. So again, that was really nice. And I'm also planning, I was planning a wedding at the time that was meant to be in California. So that was really efficient for me getting to, you know, be in California and try to plan that. (laughs) Obviously, a lot of your own teammates and a lot of Ian's teammates and footballers in general really won't have been able to get back home. So maybe not right. the way you wanted to get home, but was it 
a bit of a blessing in disguise almost that you're still able to, to see your family and what's been a horrendous year. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was right at the start of it. So I think at this point now, it's been, you know, over a year since I've seen them, or about a year since I've seen them last. Um, so I'm feeling that itch to see them again soon. Um, but it was definitely really nice to see them because when I first tore my knee before we knew exactly what the pandemic meant, my mom was potentially going to come over to help out with my post-surgery recovery. Um, and, you know, moms always want to be there to take care of their kids. So the fact that she wasn't able to do that um, was, you know, tough for her. But once I was able to go over there for the last, for month two and three of my post-surgery rehab was really important and special. Obviously, as we said, everyone was was off from the football for a while. How helpful was he in, in the recovery? Like, was it, how helpful was it having someone here with you before, obviously, before and after um, going back across home? Yeah, it was extremely important. Um, you know, for the before, he was having to do different types of workouts on his own that, you know, Dundee United would, would send them or try to have them do. So he was trying to focus on football and it's kind of experiencing similar things to me where, you know, just not having football itself. Um, and it also helped me, you know, his support made sure that I was able to do different workouts and guide me and just give me kind of the emotional support I needed, um, since it was frustrating at times, not being able to get surgery and do rehab. Um, and then after the surgery, even more important because it's pretty painful, you know, after the surgery and I can't right away, you're not able to walk or do much. And it was hard sleeping at night. So he was literally on a mattress while I was on the couch, um, making sure I, could get to the bathroom in the middle of the night and things like that. So he was incredible. Obviously the season was cold and I mean, Ian was part of the, the Dundee United team that won promotion there. Did I presume he was right. in a happy mood? Did that mood at all help <laughs> the pair of you sort of get through and just in workouts when, when you were able to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was definitely a source of joy for him and for myself because they did incredible that year and really deserved to be promoted. They didn't get the same type of celebration they they wanted, of course, as many celebrations were this past year. You're not the same, um, but it was still, yeah, a bit of joy for for them and for us having that. After the men's game came back um, in August and they were allowed to train and yourself, you would mm. still have been recovering from your injury, but with the women's game, it was it was back and then kind of stopped again. Did you ever feel when there was going to be a time where the season would just end and you wouldn't be able to get back to now? Yeah, this last 55-day uh, delay in January, I definitely had some of those thoughts um, because, you know, we the first half of the season, we did get to play those seven games and we did it without testing um, and everything really was going pretty smoothly. Um, so I was very surprised when we had a delay, even though much hadn't changed. Um, and it was longer and longer, getting closer and closer to when the season's supposed to end. So when you were doing the math to see, you know, how we were going to complete these games in the same amount of time or relative amount of time of what was meant to be um, was difficult. And again, for me, that delayed my rehab. So for me, I was at the last couple months of getting back to football. Um, and I was like, wow, I'm just, you know, I've had, I had thoughts where I was like, am I ever going to get back to football? Because it's just delayed again and again. And a lot of the rehab was mainly running and strength. So I didn't know when football was coming back. <laughs> Did that help you in any way then? Obviously, this is now what, the third pre-season um, where a lot of it is down to running and obviously trying to recover from your injuries. You're seeing sort of rehab, strength work and then running again is what you're yeah. going to be, is what you've had to do. Do you think that has then perhaps helped you sort of ease your way back into training? 
Yeah. I mean, as much as I wish I was back a little bit earlier and we didn't have this delay, um, I've been able to extend the amount of time I'm doing strength and continuing to rehab my knees. So, um, yeah, in a way it was beneficial and, and helpful with making sure I was not only fit, but, um, just had an extra amount of recovery and strength time for me. Obviously, um, competitive games are, are what you're looking for, but you were back on the pitch on Sunday and, of course, scored um, against Forfar from on your return from injury. Just how good a moment was it, first of all, to get back on the pitch, but then also to find the net? Yeah, it was really incredible, kind of hard to describe. Um, I think it finally hit me when they were actually calling my name to get on the pitch and do the sub and my teammates and the staff and everyone was absolutely incredible. If you've watched any of the videos and you turn the sound up, the sound is really what gets me every time all of their support. Um, I had a few tears coming onto the pitch. I was trying to keep it together, but, you know, just having them applause me for first time I was back in the kit um, in those boots and stepping onto a pitch for uh, an actual match was definitely a really special moment. Um, couldn't really believe it was happening, I think is why I had some of the tears and I was just so excited. And then it was super comfortable getting back into the game with all the girls and Kiva gave me a perfect ball into the box that I was wide open for. So I needed to make sure I finished it. <laughs> um, and that was, you know, cheesily the cherry on top. It wasn't something I had planned on, of course, but it made that day and that moment just all the more special. See, of course, from the celebrations that other players were they're really sort of close with you. Are you a really tight-knit group, tight group sorry, at Celtic? And you think that has helped you personally as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the girls have been so supportive. It's It's been hard during COVID to really spend time together like you normally would. You know, typically we have some sort of preseason trip and also we're able to spend time in a locker room or have different meals before after training or um, you know, do activities together. And besides being on the pitch, you don't really get to do that because of the different restrictions. So, um, but even without those things, we've still been able to support each other a lot. And they've been a huge support to me. Um, you know, some days when I wasn't able to train, I'd only be down two or three times a week to, to actually train with the team because I couldn't be doing much. And even in those times, I still felt super close with them and they're extremely supportive. So um, that's definitely helped in my recovery. And I think that helps us as a team in general, you know, when you have that type of chemistry off the pitch, it's very visible on the pitch. You're of course going to be sort of easing yourself back into action again. When do you plan on sort of well, hope to be starting games again? Um, I'm not totally sure. You know, this weekend I did just about 20-ish minutes. I, I didn't know the actual minutes on the clock, but um, that felt comfortable. And I would think that it'd slowly be able to increase from there. And of course, during the week, we are training and sometimes do 11 v 11. So that can, you know, hopefully increase my minutes midweek as well um, to make sure that I'm ready for games. And um, it's not necessarily up to me if I start or not, uh, you know, so we'll see everyone that that happens. When you first joined, you were one of a few new signings there. And of course, now we've had a season that never was and another that started not finished and now of course there's another um, good few new arrivals there just how has everyone settled in and how much of a challenge do you see it being this time for, for places? Um, I think everyone's settled in great it's been a really good transition with these new signings um, a lot of really talented internationals and players um, personality wise they fit in great and you know we already got our banter and jokes going so it, it's been really easy having them in and they're all very quality players, like I said. So um, I'm really excited to see how they do and we do in competitive games. 
you've got a fellow American, of course, and um, Mariah Lee. Did you two know each other at all from your time in, uh, in the States? So we knew of each other and we had met once. Um, so she went to Wake Forest as well, which was really cool. But she went, she's a year younger t- than me and she went for her fifth year at Wake Forest. So I'd already graduated uh, two years before that. But I came back in 2018 for a homecoming uh, football, American football game. And I met her once, which was, um, you know, just small world on how all that connects together that now she's here and uh, we were able to talk a bit before she signed, which was nice. You're back again, of course, um, Glasgow City on Sunday. What is the mood like in the Celtic squad ahead of that game? I mean, I think we're just excited. It's always such a fun rivalry against City. Um, we know they've made a lot of changes and they've um, not had some preseason games uh, at the start of this to maybe conceal who those changes are and what they're like, which is fine with us um, because we're, yeah, again, we're really confident in our squad and just excited to get back out there. How strong would you say this Celtic team is compared to sides that you've, you've played with before and the Celtic team from yeah. when you first joined? Um, I mean, I'd say we're really strong right now. Again, I wasn't able to play in this first half of the season the second time, um, but I'd say that you know these uh, few signings that we've had recently will make us, I think, a little bit better than we were at the start of this half of the season. So I'm, I'm really excited for what we're going to do. You mentioned them, um, new players in at, at City and then obviously Rangers and yourself have, have both strengthened and then moved professional as well. Just how good do you think that is for, for Scottish football really at the top of the game? I think it's incredible. Um, I mean, it's just having that type of small investment in the women's side really magnifies the game. You know, if you don't invest in players and in people and in facilities, then you're not going to have any results. And um, I think the quality of football has already proven how much investment, you know, produces results like this because it's been extremely competitive games. I remember when I came over here um, and I hadn't signed with the team yet, I watched us play Rangers when they were a really young team and forget the score, but we beat them. I think, pretty well or easily at the time. Um, and then, you know, we go into the season where they're professional now, lots of signings and lots of very quality players, super organized team. And so watching that game from the stands and then watching, um, you know, our last game when we beat them 1-0, it's definitely a big change seeing how much the investment plays into the quality of football. Champions League came this season. There's there's two spots at the top of the league, and obviously we've seen we've seen Glasgow City go a good distance mm-hmm. in that tournament um, a couple of occasions. And Hibs, of course, were in it qualifiers um, a season or two ago. What would it mean mm-hmm. for Celtic and for yourself, for that matter, um, to be playing in the Champions League with this team? Yeah, I mean it would be huge for me personally. The Champions League playing in it has always been a goal of mine, so that would be really special for me if I got that chance. But also. You know, for the club, we've really taken a lot of pride and we've really worked hard to make sure that we could be a professional club and a proper one at that and um, do well. So getting to play in Champions League would really be, um, you know, besides winning the league, one of the ultimate ways that we can um, feel proud about this professional year um, and starting off right. And for Celtic as a club, you know, um, European football has always been really important to the club. So if our women's side can do that in our first year and get a compete there, I think that would be really important. How strong do you think um, the Celtic squad is? Um, I think we're really strong. You know, like I said, with the signings that we've had, I think it's they've been really good. And um, even though it's been a four week preseason for this part, I think it's been a really productive one and lots of great trainings. So I think we're, we're strong. Nice, easy question to end it off. Um, you've said that obviously <laughs> there's been a lot of, a lot of change at other clubs. 
And it's right. going to be tough, but can this Celtic team win the league? Yes, I absolutely think so. Um, you know, it's going to be a tight race and every game, every point at that um, goal differential, everything is going to be extremely important. Um, but I think we can do it. Nice positive end there. Well, thanks very much <laughs> um, for your time this afternoon, Sarah. Yeah, right. Um, this podcast will be going out before the return on Sunday as myself and Chris have been really busy with all eight clubs, but um, yeah. plenty, plenty to come and we'll be recording another one myself tonight. So for now, thanks cool. very much and see you again soon.